Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. God is doing amazing things around the world. I know that you hear about all the difficulties and they are real and I do not deny that. They're difficult and they're hard. But even in the midst of this, God is doing amazing things in reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Bert Harper along with Nathan Harper. And Nathan, you are very mindful of that because of the work that you have done and what God has shown you. But even from a local pastor's point of view, I look out and read and see God's doing some amazing things in reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't he? Oh, all over the world, God is drawing people to himself for salvation and, and then sending them out to serve and accomplish the Great Commission as people are becoming disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus as they go. And the, the interview that we will do later, we want to set that up by sharing with you that God may lay something on your heart as it did the interview E that we shared with But I want to look at how this can be accomplished, not only in Asia, in Africa, but maybe even in your neck of the woods, your neighborhood, your town. And Nathan, when we look at the model that's in the Bible, and those are our models, even though they're always the basis of it. Now, people have learned to expand on it and apply it in a, you know, in a a way into their society, but the Bible shows the models, doesn't it? Yeah, the, there's biblical models throughout God's Word, especially as we pay attention to Jesus, how he ministered in the Gospels, and even Paul and the other apostles as they worked. Uh, you can you can see those models played out in Acts. And so, yeah, those are those are biblical foundational models of how to carry out the Great Commission. And it's more strategic than what you might imagine. If you, if you dig in and look and see what's really going on. One of the principles, one of these models that Jesus gave us and that are, you know, if people are putting it into place even today and throughout all these years, these 2,000 years since he gave us the Great Commission, then we'll find fruit there. If you model your ministry after the master, Jesus said you can expect to, to bear fruit. And so... You know, that's what we want to do. And one of, those, one of those principles, one of those models is this idea of a person of peace. Maybe you've heard that term before. We've talked about it on this program. Yes, we have. So a but person it, of but peace. But I want to say this. It's one of those that need to be repeated. Yeah, definitely. Because we're surrounded, no matter who we're working with, no matter who we live among, and, you know, maybe God has given us a burden for a group of people, or maybe just um, a place, maybe your street, your neighborhood, maybe somewhere that that you would have to go to purposefully, maybe the workplace or at school or even, you know, somewhere around the other side of the world. If God sends you there, then what you want to do is what Jesus did, modeled, and then taught the apostles to do. And one of those things is to search 
and ask God to give you a person of peace who will be open, receptive, and a channel of the gospel to all the rest of the people in that circle of influence uh, where the person of peace kind of uh, operates. As we do this, you may be a person of peace in your neighborhood, and you don't even know it. It may start with a cookout. It may start with you leaving and going somewhere and finding that person of peace. Years ago, you and I were involved in a ministry on Sunday nights of neighborhood, and a lot of times small groups got together for fellowship, which is good. They got together for Bible study, which is good. But our purpose was to get together for reaching others for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's two or three of those groups, Nathan, I think this principle did find. They, they found some people that were involved in ministry, and they became influential in reaching others. So it is possible to see this fulfilled, not just uh, in Asia or Africa, but here in the United States as well. That's right. So it's, it's going on all over the world. And let's just look at the biblical text here, the model that Jesus gives. Uh, we're going to read today in Matthew chapter 10. And so in Matthew 10, Jesus is instructing the 12 to go out, and this is still in uh, Galilee where they're ministering here, and to go out among the lost sheep of Israel is what, uh, how Jesus describes it. And so in Matthew chapter 10, we'll start in verse 7, Jesus says, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. So far, what we have is what they're supposed to be doing, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, doing those mighty works in Jesus' name, and then what they're supposed to use or really not use to accomplish this. They don't need money to accomplish the Great Commission. They don't need extra things like a tunic or, or extra sandals or, a, or a, even the protection that a staff might give you as you're journeying along. Those, Jesus says, are going to be, if you do the work, you're going to be provided what you need. But in verse 11, Jesus says, Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. So in Matthew, he gives us the word, a person who is worthy. In Luke, he might say uh, a person of, of peace. But it's the same, same idea, same person. Verse 12, as you enter the home, Give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. So what Jesus is showing us here is, one, we have a specific place, a launching place from which the gospel will spread from. Okay, And that place is a home of peace or a home of influence or a person of peace. And you search for that person. Now, the way you search for the person is you go and you, you share the gospel with as many people as you can. And as you share the gospel, that will weed out those that are not responsive to it, those that are responsive to it, those who want to believe, those who reject. You've, you've had that opportunity many times, I know, and it's real common to get um, thrown off track in our search for this person of peace. When we are rejected, you know, you might share the gospel with someone and they they don't want to hear about it. They reject. I mean, how does that 
Have you had that experience? I have. And we were working for some people in another state in the Northwest, which is a very highly unchurched. And we were doing some neighborhood areas and we were looking for that person at, that this local church could start a Bible study outreach. And we had many from other influential religions right. that really were completely negative. But we did find somebody, and they were willing to have a Bible study. They did not necessarily come to know Christ, right. but they were willing to have the Bible study. And and that church was able to establish a Bible study there, and they did reach some of those people through that Bible study. They already had that Bible study planned. It was going to be an eight-week, sometimes seven weeks. I, seven weeks is good. A lot of the Bible studies are, are 12 weeks. I should say not seven, 12 weeks, but eight is yeah. two months. A lot of good things can happen in those eight weeks. Yeah, it really can. A lot of growth can occur. But you first have to find this person who will act as whether it's a host or act as a, like a catalyst or a, a person with, at the center of a circle of influence. And the Bible calls them a person of peace. And a person of peace does three main things. So let's, let's talk about this real quickly. A person of peace will do the first thing. They will welcome the messenger. They will welcome the person who comes bringing the good news. Okay. And that might be just simply of listening to you or even coming into your home and providing a meal or at least a place in our society, just a, a little bit of time to let you share. They will welcome the messenger. The second thing a person of peace will do is to receive the message. Now, not all the time will they immediately believe, but they will be open to it. They won't reject the message. In the Bible, they said, we want to hear more of this. That's right. Even if they just want to hear more, you take advantage of it. That's right. They, they see the peace that the gospel brings, and they want— if they're not ready to receive the gospel, they, wanna, they want the benefits of it. They want the peace that the gospel brings into their life. So they, receive the, they welcome the messenger. They receive the message. And the third thing that makes someone a person of peace is they extend their influence. They allow the gospel not just to hear for them in their own, own ears. They want their family to hear. They want their friends and their neighbors and people that are in their circle of influence to come and hear this message of the good news. And that's what really separates a person of peace from someone who's just being friendly or polite or hospitable and someone that will allow a Bible study to occur in their home and other people can come in and join in. So Jesus gives us this model to go out and search and pray for this person of peace in and around where we're working, where we're serving. And so God will use that. Now, let me give you one more Bible passage to give you a, a helpful description of a person of peace. This is a good description. It's in Mark chapter 4, verse 20. It says, Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. That's really what we want to see. We want to see not just this one individual come to know Jesus, but their sphere of influence, Maybe, maybe it's a large sphere, 100 times. Maybe it's just 30 times. It doesn't matter. God does that. We want to see multiplied fruit for the gospel, uh, for the glory of, of Jesus Christ. God may want you to be that person of peace, or he may want you to find that. But you look so the gospel of Jesus Christ can be shared. Our interview today is by John Riley. And John is an associate here at AFR. He interviewed Bob Kraft with Reach a Village. 
enjoy this interview and hear what God is doing, like we say in our introduction, around the world. And I think you can see how it could possibly, not just effectively, change your world, but how it could change everybody's world. I pray it would in your case. We are so excited to tell you about a ministry that is reaching literally thousands in Asia. And I've got a special friend here. His name is Bob Kraft. Bob Kraft is the founder of a ministry called Reach a Village. Bob, thank you so much for joining us on Exploring Missions. Well, thank you, John. It's great to be with you today. Hey, Reach a Village is the ministry that you founded. And uh, give give us an overview of the ministry and tell us a little bit about you as well. You've been involved in missions and pastoral work for a long, long time. Well, it's interesting that I myself was born in a village in northern Alabama in Coleman County. Um, My people, my folks were basically from a village of 300, and we finally moved, and I went to high school in a village of 600 people. (laughs) So small communities, uh, very familiar with, very familiar with rural life and uh, grew up picking cotton and helping my granddad. So as a uh, pastor and minister, I also was engaged with communities and small communities and farming communities here in North Alabama in my early days as a pastor. But I uh, got saved in a, a youth meeting when I was 17 years old. And before that, I really didn't care too much about anything. Uh, just a normal teenage boy. But the Lord got a hold of my heart, forgave my sins, and immediately, that very night, I, f- I said, whoa, wait a minute, there's more to this. Not just for my forgiveness of sins, I feel him calling me into ministry. That's amazing. And for the last over 40 years, you have been involved as a pastor, missionary, uh, evangelical missions leader, and now, of course, the founder of Reach a Village. And we want to tell everybody who's listening right now about this wonderful ministry called Reach a Village. Give give an overview of what you guys are doing with this ministry that's reaching literally thousands and, and I would say millions there in Asia. One of the shocking things that I found out once I did leave the pastoral ministry and go to Thailand in 1979 was that there were Millions, literally millions of people living in villages that had no church, no Bible, no believers to talk to, uh, totally neglected, as it were. And I had come from a a community of 300 and then 600 that had two or three churches. And uh, some circuit rider way back in my granddad's generation had gone through and said, you know, every one of these crossroads needs a church. They need the gospel. And they held their meetings, and down and a couple generations later, here I am as a result of somebody targeting small villages throughout America to make America great. You want to make America great again? Revive the, every little town and village. Mm-hmm. So if you want to win a nation, if you want to win, a, win the world, you're going to have to think down to the village level. So that's where the birth of Reach a Village came from. I was right from my own background and my own thinking once I got into the rural communities of Asia, especially in Thailand back in 1979. Well, what did you find when you began to uh, explore the opportunities for the gospel there? You talk about the small villages. What was the Lord planting and putting on your heart? 
Well, number one, that uh, I could spend my entire life and and plant one church, two churches, or three churches, and one or two or three villages. That would be that would exhaust my entire life. Just just to do that much in that foreign culture, learning the language, learning the culture, and it was it was a daunting task when I saw how big the unreached world was. Uh, and, of course, I got interested in Thailand because it was the only free country in Southeast Asia, and I was draft-aged in Vietnam, draft-aged Vietnam War. And I was studying Southeast Asia, and I said, oh, my goodness, the percentage of Christians is less than 1%. You know, I got to go. Even if I don't go as a soldier, if I don't get drafted, I need to go and do something for the gospel in that area of the world. So that that was my first interest, and I saw the tremendous, overwhelming Neat. And now, of course, this wonderful ministry called Reach a Village is impacting literally millions of people there in Asia. Tell everybody the countries that you are involved in, and then what practical things are you doing? I mean, are you having missionaries come from the United States, or are you using indigenous missionaries? What exactly are you doing there in these villages to to reach people? Well, it's it's interesting in that as the Lord began to put more and more of the village thinking on my mind. We're in about 20 countries, and uh, these countries go from Eurasia or the former Soviet Union all the way around to China and Southeast Asia, where we're focusing on today. What I saw was thousands and thousands, and it actually comes up to be, at, at today's totals, looking at almost a million villages in the world that have never heard the gospel. It's not like they haven't responded, but they, they don't have a believer or a Bible, a church that they could even go to in their village. If the Lord woke them up with a dream, they'd still have to wait on somebody to come and tell them. So um, that was the burden behind it. Uh, I began to study the scriptures and look at missions very differently. I realized I couldn't do it alone. You know, in American culture, we tend to all of our heroes are individuals, if you think about mm-hmm. it. Rambo, uh, Superman, they're all individuals. And so, I, you know, of course I went out there in the beginning thinking, I'm going to save the world and I'm going to do my part. And before long I realized this is just too big of a task. So I went back into serious study of God's Word, and I looked at Matthew, uh, at Mark chapter 1. I began to read through the Gospels again, and Mark chapter 1 just caught me off guard. I said, oh, wait a minute. Here's Jesus calling his disciples. And where did they go first? Well, they went back to Nazareth. They went to his village. They went to Cana of Galilee, which was Nathaniel's village, one of his first disciples. And then they ended up settling in Capernaum, which was the village of four of his other disciples. I said, oh, my goodness. And what happened in those villages? When Jesus came, people started getting healed. First one being Peter's mother-in-law. So immediately I could see, oh, the pattern is that you move into these these new disciples, this new believer. You move in and see impact in his family first. And then you move out to his village or his community. And uh, so I was reading here, and it says that uh, Jesus was beginning to have healing services there. And, I mean, they brought the sick to him, and people with needs came to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And then from there... All kinds of people flocked in, and the house was crowded every morning from daylight till dark. We read the story in Mark chapter 1. And 
All of a sudden, they looked for Jesus one morning, and he was nowhere to be found. So they uh, said, well, I think I have a good idea of where he probably is. They knew his habits of prayer in the early morning. They go out and find him in that quiet solitude of prayer. Jesus, everybody's here. The whole village is showing up. You know, we've, we've had so many people healed, and they're going back and getting their relatives, and they're bringing them to my mother-in-law's house. Come back. And it was, it, this is Mark 1, 38. Mark chapter 1, verse 38. It was interesting, his answer. He basically ignored his disciples. And he said, let's go to the nearby villages. That is why I have come. So I think uh, what really put the burden for reach a village in my heart at the essence is that uh, I saw that most churches begin to focus on themselves and they get blessed and they, they get more and more and more of God's blessing and they soon forget to reach out to the nearby villages. And so I said, okay, that's it, Lord. I'm, I'm, so I got online. I looked for the, <clears throat> the domain Reach a Village, you know. I first started out with Unreached Villages and all that was taken. And then I got down to Reach a Village and boom, untaken. I said, Lord, are you saying something to me here? So I, I went ahead and bought the domains and the Lord put the, the burden in my heart to help reach these one million villages that are remaining on the earth that have no Christian witness. And Reach a Village is doing that. I encourage you to find out more about what they are doing. You can visit their website. It's reachavillage.org, reachavillage.org, reachavillage.org. Check it out. They're starting churches. They're discipling new believers. They're reaching children. I mean, there is a multitude of things that they are doing there in that part of the world. And we encourage you to find out more about what they're doing, and you can get involved, reachavillage.org. Now, Bob, you've got a special friend here with you, and I want you to introduce this special friend because he has an amazing story. I brought with me today uh, my good friend and colleague, co-worker, Dwight Martin. Um, his story is unique, but I've been following his life even before he knew I was. I was watching what he was doing, and as you hear his story, you'll know why I was interested. If you want to reach unreached villages— First thing it is, you need to know where they are. And Dwight has a wonderful ministry involving finding the dark places, finding where the churches are, and f therefore finding where the churches are not. And so for Reach a Village, it was very important to us to be able to see where the villages were not. And so I'll let uh, him tell his own unique story, how I believe God has uniquely brought us together at this time for the kingdom. Well, as Bob introduced, I'm Dwight Martin. I was actually born and raised in Thailand. My parents went to Thailand 70 years ago by boat. Wow. And they were the first pioneer missionaries in the Kampanong province right on the Mekong River. So obviously I was born there, speak Thai natively. Um, but after high school, I came to the United States, eventually got into the computer, I actually got into the computer field, had my own software business. And in 2002, um, I was in Thailand with my family because I wanted my kids to understand their father and uh, um, God said to me, Dwight, sell your business, sell your software business, sell everything and come back, serve me in Thailand. Well, when I got back to Thailand, I met the leaders of uh, the Thai church, the top leaders. And they said, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm 
In other words, I said, Reverend Martin has come back, but this time he's a computer guy. <laughs> and they said, we have this national plan. Can you help us know where the church is, the status of the church? So we started doing uh, 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 databases and uh, tracking the tr- growth of the church. We actually know churches move every day in Thailand. We know the churches that die. This is updated daily. Our church database is updated daily. In fact, you can go to this website called thaichurches.org, and you can see the status of the Thai church. So that's, that's some of my history. Um, we also have doing this in other countries now. We have Cambodia churches, and there's other nations that we're starting to do national databases. So people in those countries can understand the status of their church. I want to share one surprising fact about this, one of the things that I've, when I do the research, because I'm officially the research coordinator for the Thai church, was um, about two years ago, I discovered there's 80,677 villages in Thailand, and the church is in only in 3,500 of those villages. Only 4% of the villages in Thailand have a church. That means after 190 years of the gospel in Thailand, we've only taken 4% of the territory. When I saw that, I even looked at my, my, my family's been there for 70 years, and that's all we've done. And so it was really a burden for me. And that's when I met up with Bob. It was a good connection because he had a burden for reaching villages, and I had the data about the villages that weren't reached. <laughs> and so our whole passion is if a nation's going to be reached, it's going to be reached by the nationals. Um, I just want to share one surprising statistic I got out of this. Um, and it's, it's part of my passion here, but do you realize that for a national to reach a church, it's one-tenth of one percent of the cost than it is for an expat or a missionary to go there? Mm-hmm. So if you really have a passion for reaching the Great Commission, the strategy is with the nationals. And that is what Reach a Village is doing literally in that part of the world in big, big ways. Dwight, that's an amazing story. And we only have uh, just a couple of minutes left. And Bob, I, I just want to ask you, tell everybody what God is doing there in that part of the country. Are people coming to the Lord? Uh, is God moving in, in Asia, in that part of the world? What's happening? Well, it, it's actually unprecedented. And it's all happening through these native, local pastors and evangelists. Everything is being fueled by their passion. And all we're doing is coming alongside, just like Dwight was asked to do. Oh, he's come back to help the Thai church. That's the way we look at it. I'm not coming back to save the world. I'm coming back to help the local churches reach new villages, plant new churches, disciple new believers, and have Bibles and resources to do that with. So that's the core of what we do. So it's fueled by God's passion for the lost in the hearts of people who have come out of idolatry and and all kinds of horrible lives, lifestyles. Imagine if you'd lived 2,000 years with no Christ in your family history. Terrible things and horrible problems, and yet they come to Christ, they're redeemed. They're willing to go to the next village and tell their uncle and their relatives in the next village and the next. So we're seeing actually unprecedented growth in the spreading of the gospel to the villages. Absolutely beautiful. This is an amazing ministry, and we're so happy to feature this here on uh, Exploring Missions, and we encourage you to find out more about it. Check out their website. It's reachavillage.org, reachavillage.org. Find out more about how you can get involved, how you can pray for them, 
Uh, there's wonderful opportunities to do that and a whole lot more. Reachavillage.org. Bob and Dwight, thank you for joining us on Exploring Missions. Thank you. And thank you, John.